0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Aesthetic Surgery Journal Open Forum Podcast. These podcasts are freely accessible on Apple Podcasts and ASJ Open Forum website internationally and represent the highest standard in aesthetic surgery education. I'm your moderator, Dr. Mark Albert, and I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon in private practice in New York. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Dr. James Zins. He's the author of the recent ASJ Open Forum article entitled, How to Prevent and Treat Complications in Facelift Surgery, Part One, Short-Term Complications. So hi, Dr. Zins, how are you? Thank you for joining us.
1: Dr. Albert, it's a a pleasure to see you.
0: So we all pretty much know who you are already, but if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself and and your practice.
1: Sure, happy to. Well, Mark, uh, I initially, went into plastic surgery with, a, with an interest in craniofacial surgery. And I trained with uh, Lytton Whitaker as a, his second uh, craniofacial fellow. So I think that speaks something to, uh, to my age. Uh, I then uh, went uh, really to uh, the Cleveland Clinic uh, to practice uh, craniofacial surgery. And I did that for a number of years. Uh, until about 1991. Now, craniofacial surgery, I think, is a great inroad into, into cosmetic surgery. I think it's a great background into cosmetic surgery. And cosmetic surgery was something I was always very, very interested in, even as a resident, even as a resident. The, the residents always ran away from the facelifts at Penn because they knew they weren't gonna be doing, uh, they are gonna be watching and they weren't gonna be operating. But it was an operation I always had an interest in, even, even going back to my uh, early resident years. So I tend to scrub on those, on those operations. Uh, So I went to to the clinic, practiced craniofacial surgery for a number of years. uh, And then it became obvious we needed someone to focus uh, on aesthetic surgery. And specifically there was a a great weakness in facial aesthetics. So I I gravitated into an area that I always had a lot of interest in. Uh, I, I have a great interest in anatomy. Uh, facial anatomy, uh, and uh, I enjoy dealing with, with mature um, uh, older women, so this was really a, a, a tremendous inroad for me. So uh, I really uh, practice facial aesthetic surgery almost exclusively since 1991 uh, and with a very special interest uh, in facelift surgery. So that's a little bit about the background.
0: Thank you. So sure. what prompted you to, to write this manuscript?
1: Uh, good, good question. Uh, Mark, uh, my least favorite journal is the Journal of Anecdotal Plastic Surgery. Uh, and uh, this is really one of the major reasons that uh, I wrote, uh, uh, that, that I co-authored this, uh, this article. And of course, you know, I was a senior author on this and I do, uh, I think, uh, put kudos out to Dr. Nick Sinclair, our senior resident, who was really the first author and did a tremendous amount of work on this paper. So please, uh, he, de- he deserves a uh, uh, most of the credit. Um, in any case, we went ahead, uh, worked on this article. Unfortunately, uh, plastic surgery, uh, it's very, very difficult for us to get prospective randomized studies. Uh, much of what pla- we have in plastic surgery and facial aesthetic surgery is, is very subjective, soft data. Uh, saying it kindly is we really, really, it's not, it's not a lot of good science. So what we tried to do in this paper was we tried to objectify as much as we could um, the issues when it came to complications. Uh, So the article is a bit long winded. You know, I think it goes to some 30 odd pages if you include the references. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what we tried to do was to address all areas of short-term complications, this is actually part one, we, we plan on a, a part two, which would be long-term complications of, facial aesthetic, of uh, uh, facelift uh, surgery. But in part one, we tried to address the short-term complications using as much evidence-based medicine as we could, as much objective data uh, as we could. So as you go through a relatively dry area, uh, a dry paper, um, it really does give you, I think, a sound foundation on what objective data we have, what evidence-based medicine we have on the complications and how more important, how to prevent uh, and how to treat them. So that's really the reason for the article.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, there there are an amazing number of helpful pointers and useful information in the article. You know, if you had to say what are the handful of most important things to get across to the listeners from the paper, what what would you say they are?
1: I I would say probably hematoma is the the area that we've done the best job as far as objectifying data is concerned. Uh, uh, Of course, getting a hematoma, the crime is not getting a hematoma, the crime is missing a hematoma. And that's really how we started out this paper. Um, And uh, I'm sure you've seen it, uh, really a pretty frightening picture of the the patient, which I treated uh, secondarily after she developed that expanding hematoma um, and uh, ultimately having to get tracheostomy to protect her airway. So uh, hematoma is certainly uh, something that we have to be uh, concerned with. And there's a good deal of objective data on how to prevent this, by meticulous uh, care of blood pressure intraoperatively and postoperatively. Good studies showing us that there's a set, clearly an increased incidence of hematoma in patients whose blood pressure is over 140 tor, uh postoperatively, uh, and treating this preventively uh, is, uh, is very, very important. So hematoma, I think, is probably the, the number one number one issue that we addressed in, in the paper. Uh, and then what we did was we went, we went through and tried to uh, uh, also uh, clarify issues on uh, the evidence uh, f- as far as fiber and uh, glues are concerned, TXA, some of the newer things that uh, have come along the line that we're trying to use to, to prevent seromas, prevent complications, um, the data to show that these things, uh, that uh, fibrin uh, glue or that, that uh, TXA prevents hematoma, is meager, uh, is not not well is not well documented. But of course, again, the problem becomes from one certain perspective that's very difficult because you know our incidence of hematoma now is much lower than. Uh, than cited in many of the classic papers. The incidence of hematoma, if we look at the large studies now, is, is really in the 1% range. So to be able to show a difference uh, in uh, reducing hematoma by some of the ancillary techniques that we're using today, tranexamic acid, fibrin glues, uh, quilting sutures, et cetera, becomes relatively difficult unless we get to large scale prospective randomized studies. So you know, again, I guess the plea here is we really try to be the best scientists that we can. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think we're, we're very good scientists, uh, um, and um, we really need we really need prospective randomized studies, or, or at least well done surgical studies using validated measures. Another very important, uh, very important point I think is many of the studies that we see in our journal today. Uh, use non-validated measures uh, to assess uh, to assess results. That just doesn't carry weight anymore. That's that's non-scientific, and that really uh, is something we shouldn't be doing anymore.
0: So, where do you think we go from here? What what future research is necessary based on your your paper?
1: Well, again, I would not call this paper research. This paper was really a, a you know was really a summary. Uh, a summary of the of the research, uh, and again, as I said, trying to just demonstrate the, the val- de- demonstrate for the, the students and for the young residents what the what the objective data is, what what the empiric data, data is. So that's what this paper did. You know, our, our next paper is going to look at long term uh, long term complications. Again, a little bit a uh, little bit more esoteric. Uh, but we're gonna look at long-term complications uh, of face of surgery. So the idea here is to try not to uh, have the residents learn, um, you know, one of uh, Barry Noon, one of my, my mentors when I was resident, uh, when he gave his, uh, his lecture at the American Association uh, of uh, Plastic Surgeons, his first uh, cited lecture, he, his first slide was, uh, the best year of residency is your first year in practice. And again, I think that this is, I, I hardly disagree with this. You know, we, we all need coaches. We have coaches in, uh, in residency. We need coaches when we go out into, into practice. Uh, we need mentorship. No, no question about that. Uh, but we also need to learn not uh, from experience, but really from the, from the hard data. So again, just a, a plea for hard data, a plea for using prospective studies, a plea for using uh, evidence-based medicine. So that's... that's.
0: Well, that's, Dr. Zins, I mean, I could sit sit on here all night and pick your brain about this article. Our time, unfortunately, is coming to an end. I just want to thank you for taking time tonight to join us and also for the amazing work on this paper. So thank you so much.
1: right, Dr. Albert, it's a pleasure. Take care. Have a good night.
0: So for everyone else, thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you at the next Aesthetic Surgery Journal Open Forum podcast and have a great day.